This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. After only 45 days in office, Liz Truss resigned, becoming the shortest-serving Prime Minister in British history. She stepped down under pressure from her own Conservative Party MPs following a series of chaotic political missteps, starting with the disastrous mini-budget of September 23rd. She will stay in office while the party holds a leadership election to be completed by October 28th. Rishi Sunak, her rival in the leadership race earlier this year, is expected to run. Some MPs are openly canvassing for the return of her predecessor, Boris Johnson. America said military personnel from Iran were on the ground in Crimea, helping Russia launch drone attacks against Ukraine. A spokesman for the White House said America would pursue all means to expose, deter and confront Iranian support to Russia. Britain joined the EU in imposing new sanctions on Iran over its supply of kamikaze drones to Russia, which it used to damage Ukrainian energy infrastructure. Inflation in Japan climbed to reach an eight-year high in September. Core consumer prices increased by 3% year-on-year, exceeding the central bank's 2% target for a sixth consecutive month. The Bank of Japan has maintained an ultra-loose monetary policy, even as the yen has tumbled. It slid to 150 per dollar on Thursday, its lowest rate since 1990. Twitter told its employees that there were no plans for layoffs, despite reports that Elon Musk, the social media firm's prospective owner, wants to sack nearly three-quarters of its 7,500 staff. Mr Musk reportedly said that job cuts would mark the start of his shake-up of Twitter, whose profits lag behind its competitors. His purchase is expected to close by October 28th. Snap's share price fell by more than 25% in post-session trading, wiping out more than $4 billion in value after it reported its slowest revenue growth since going public five years ago. The social media firm warned that the current quarter's revenues would be flat year on year. Snap's evidently troubled earnings from digital advertisers drove down shares of Alphabet, Meta and other companies that rely on them. Indonesia determined that about 100 children there died of acute kidney injuries caused by bad cough syrup. It immediately banned all liquid medications as it investigates the pharmaceutical disaster. Earlier this month, the World Health Organization issued a warning about cough syrup specifically after drugs manufactured in India fell under suspicion in the deaths of 66 children in the Gambia. The UN Office on Drugs and Crime estimated that coca growers in Colombia this year will have produced 43% more of cocaine's main ingredient than they did last year. With more than 200,000 hectares under cultivation, Colombia will be pumping out more powder than ever, the UNODC reckons. Its new president, Gustavo Petro, has declared the war on drugs a failure. And fact of the day. 15%. The percentage of patients for whom antidepressants had a substantial benefit beyond a placebo. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Britain awaits a new prime minister. The merry-go-round of Downing Street turns again. Liz Truss, who resigned on Thursday as Britain's prime minister, will be remembered as the shortest and arguably least successful holder of that office. 
after bond markets rejected her mini-budget, she fired her chancellor, reneged on her promise of tax cuts, and lost her authority. The Conservative Party will now embark on an expedited leadership contest to be completed in the course of the next week. Tory MPs will whittle down a list of hopefuls, who will need support from 100 colleagues to qualify, before putting two to party members to choose from. Likely candidates include Rishi Sunak, the former chancellor, Penny Mordaunt, the leader of the House of Commons, and Boris Johnson, the scandal-prone former prime minister. The winner will be the party's fifth prime minister since taking office in 2010, and the third this calendar year. But whoever triumphs will face the same old problems, constrained finances, and a nigh-on ungovernable party. Steve Bannon Faces the Music On Friday, Steve Bannon, Donald Trump's former consigliere, will be sentenced by a judge in Washington for contempt of Congress. In July, he was convicted of two misdemeanors for refusing to appear before a House committee investigating the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021. Prosecutors have asked that he serve six months in prison and pay a $200,000 fine. They cited his name-calling, mimicry, and menacing rhetoric towards the committee members and his lack of remorse. The contempt of Congress statute is rarely enforced. Just one other person, Peter Navarro, a former advisor to Mr. Trump, was indicted for thumbing his nose at the January 6th committee, though several higher-level aides also ignored subpoenas. Justice Department guidelines suggest that senior administration officials and the president should not be forced to testify before Congress, owing to executive privilege. So do not expect contempt charges for Mr. Trump if, as is expected, he disregards his own forthcoming subpoena. An LNG Jam at European Ports As the European Union races to restock gas supplies ahead of the winter, it has increasingly relied on liquefied natural gas ferried by super-chilled tankers often from America, to replace the stuff piped from Russia. That has helped it fill its storage to more than 90%, already passing its target of 80% for November 1st. But now a bottleneck is choking off flows. With the continent's limited number of regasifying terminals now running at full capacity, dozens of tankers are being forced to wait their turn. Many are circling off the coasts of Spain, which accounts for one-third of Europe's regasification capacity, but may soon start looking for other destinations. To avoid missing the boat, next year Spain will reopen El Musel, an LNG import terminal in the Bay of Biscay, that has been idle for a decade. But more bottlenecks will appear upstream, The pipeline linking Iberia to northern Europe will not satiate Germany's hunger for gas. Italy edges closer to its new government. A delegation from the right-wing alliance that won Italy's general election last month 
will visit President Sergio Mattarella on Friday, rounding off the consultations that precede the formation of a new government. Usually, each party sends its own delegation, but the uneasy allies want to showcase their unity and readiness to govern in coalition under Giorgia Meloni, who leads the hard-right Brothers of Italy party. The only fly in the ointment appears to be Silvio Berlusconi, who leads the Forza Italia party. Irate at being thwarted in the share-out of cabinet seats, the former prime minister has wrought havoc. In a recording leaked on Wednesday, he embarrassed Miss Maloney by boasting of his closeness to Russia's president, Vladimir Putin. After Mr. Berlusconi's tantrum, Mr. Mattarella will doubtless want answers to some hard questions about whether the right is as united as it claims and whether Mr. Berlusconi's party should, as reportedly intended, get the foreign affairs portfolio. The Melancholy Wit of the Banshees of Inisharan Martin McDonough's last comedy-drama, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, won the BAFTA for Best Film, among other awards in 2018. The playwright-turned-filmmaker's darkly funny follow-up, which is released in cinemas on Friday, The Banshees of Inisharan, is too mysterious and melancholy to earn many prizes yet it is sure to win a cult following. Mr. McDonough has recast the stars of his debut movie in Bruges, Colin Farrell, and Brendan Gleeson. The pair play old drinking buddies who live on a tiny Irish island in 1923. Their friendship comes to an abrupt halt when one of them suddenly announces that he will chop off his own fingers if he ever has to talk to the other again. That succinct, absurdist plot is all that Mr. McDonough needs to make a poetic, sharply scripted, and beautifully acted meditation on kindness, depression, art, the Irish Civil War, and the self-destructive stubbornness of men everywhere. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday Which famous river has two major tributaries, the White and the blue. Thursday. Which newspaper group was acquired by crooked businessman Robert Maxwell in July 1984? The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword, published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Sundir Babu, Bengaluru, India. North America. Jane N. Gose, Kihei, Hawaii. Central and South America. Sebastian Agudelo Restrepo, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Europe. Anton Gris, Kiev, Ukraine. Africa. Asit Raja, Nairobi, Kenya.
Oceania, Roberta McDonald, Runaway Bay, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Ali Khamenei, Amazon, Andes, and Import. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Ursula Le Guin, who was born on this day in 1929. We read books to find out who we are. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.